0: Coming up on this special bonus episode of the podcast, we go behind the scenes of our book, The Hockey Player's Heart. Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for readers and writers of gay
1: romance fiction. If you can read it, write it, watch it, or listen to it, these two guys are going to talk about it. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Adams and Will Knauss. Welcome, everyone, to this special bonus episode of the Big A Picture Podcast. I'm Jeff from jeffadamswrites.com. And as always, I'm Will from willcanus.com.
0: So over the past few days, we've actually been doing some Facebook Live uh, discussions about our book, The Hockey Player's Heart. We've talked about various aspects of the book, and we thought you guys might like to hear that if you've missed it or didn't catch all the pieces of it. Mm -hmm. Did you enjoy doing our... Our seven days of live broadcast. Seven days of live. (laughs) Coming at you live. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, It
1: was uh, sometimes hard coming up with uh, so many different topics. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I think uh, we had fun. Uh, And uh, I think everyone listening will hopefully enjoy uh, some of the things we discussed.
0: Uh, this past week. Yeah, it was some various different parts of how we did our process and different elements of the book. So we hope you guys enjoy it. Thanks for listening and uh, we'll see you back for a regular podcast episode next Monday. And we are here to talk about our first collaborative project, The Hockey Player's Heart, which comes out on next Tuesday, January 16th from Dream Press. As you can see, it's a DreamSpun Desire book. It's actually book number 50, which is kind of cool to be in that in that uh, kind of milestone positioning for the line. Milestone. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk over the next uh, week about the book as we get ready for the launch. Mm-hmm. And for tonight's topic, we're going to focus on this guy right here. Uh, the Hashim- me, little little me. Yes, <laughs> little old you. This is his first book. Yep. Now, in the past, you have published some short stories. Yeah. Uh, about a decade ago. Yep. But this is your first book. Mm-hmm. What was it like getting your first book out there in the world and now getting to hold it in your hand? What a,
1: what a fantastic question.
0: <laughs> Thank you for asking. You're me. so welcome.
1: Um uh, so what's it like having my first book out in the world? Yeah. Um uh let me. Let, hmm.
0: He knew this question was coming too.
1: I knew it was coming. He, so my thoughts on this are that I don't have a particular emotional attachment to the book itself. So let me explain. Um, we are uh, subscribers to the Dreamspun Desires line. And like everyone else who subscribes to the Dream Spud Desires line, we got this book in the mail the last week of December.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we did a pretty crappy unboxing video. Uh, <laughs> don't don't look it up online, because uh, it's pretty crappy it as... It is unbi- like, here on Facebook, <laughs> just saying. It's terrible as unboxing videos go. Um, and I... There, there are certain people who get all weepy and and emotional about a milestone of, of seeing their book in print for the first time, and that didn't happen for me. Interesting. Um, I think it's because um, I feel I'm detached from the... Uh, I'm, you know, this is... This is not going to make any sense. I'm so sorry, everyone. I While I may not be emotionally attached to the physical book itself, although I think it's absolutely lovely, uh, it's really beautiful, and, and I can appreciate it from an <laughs> aesthetic point. Um, it's got a gorgeous cover, and it's beautiful on the inside, too. All of the Dream Spuns are. What, um, what I appreciate and what I emotionally connect to Uh, specifically with this first book in the series that we're writing, is um, the characters. I think I've, well, we, we have spent so much time with them. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know they're not real, but we've spent so much time thinking about and concentrating on, you know, who they are as people and, What are their goals and their dreams and their aspirations? And what are their passions? That Concentrating on these fictional people for such an extended period of time has made them real in my mind. Mm -hmm. So um, as you can see on this uh, paperback, there are lots of little flags. (laughs) Um, The other day we were uh, going through the book looking for uh, cute little excerpts to pull for the blog tour that's going to be happening, uh, starting on Friday, uh, in the next couple of days. And I was sitting down and I was flipping through the book and I was like, Oh yeah, that was cute when they did that. And it's like, Oh, I remember that too. And so, um, so yeah, I think what is most memorable uh, and momentous about this first book for me
0: is the people that we've created out of our imaginations. And we should tell you, if you haven't seen some of our promotional stuff already, uh, A Hockey Player's Heart is a second chance romance between NHL hockey superstar Caleb Carter, who has returned home to his upstate New York uh, hometown uh, to recuperate from an injury. And while he's there, he reconnects with Aaron Price, who's now a third grade school teacher. But years ago, when they were both in high school, Aaron was actually Caleb's tutor for geometry. And they harbored a crush on each other that they, neither one of them knew about at the time. Because neither one of them was out. Years later now, they're getting their second chance at making all this work for them. Yeah. Now, us writing A Dreamspun Desire was your idea mm-hmm. back at the time. We knew we wanted to collaborate on something. But doing A Dreamspun was like all yours. What why a dreamspun? Um I think uh,
1: there are a lot of different subgenres in gay fiction, mm-hmm. and I have just been drawn towards uh, simple classic stories uh, that primarily deal with classic romance tropes uh, I think it has been a very difficult last co- couple of years for a lot of people for you know obvious reasons uh, so I have found that my comfort reads are feel-good contemporary romances mm-hmm. uh, and when uh, Dream Spinner came out with this particular line of books that specialized in, you know, feel-good, tropey romances from yesterday. yester yesteryear. that's the word <laughs> I meant. Um, it was like, I was like 100% on board as a reader and as a writer. It was like, that's what I want to be doing. So that's why I said, this is something we need
0: to sign up for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. as soon as the subscriptions were available, we were like, click, click, click. <laughs> Get those for us. Yeah. How do you feel, and we'll get more into this in tomorrow's video about process, but yeah. what was it like for you to like start this creative process and really generate your first book and, and have know you had a completed story at the end of it?
1: Um, I think that we are still working through our collaborative process <laughs> while I'm happy with the end result of the hockey player's heart i think the collaborative process could have gone smoother um (laughs) all of the bumps in the road that we experienced were my fault um so i (laughs) i i don't play well with others i'm gonna put that out there in the world right now um so i need to work on uh my half of the collaborative process um and that's something that we're still
0: working on at the moment. Yeah, we're actually. Yeah. Uh, as this book comes out, we're finishing the first draft on its sequel, uh, which we'll talk later on in the video series and in the blog tour about a little bit too. So our collaboration survived the first book, which is yes, it did. Awesome. We're still married. <laughs> <laughs> Everything worked out fine. What would you like to tell the good peeps about the book? To like, why do they need to go get that?
1: Um, because it's good. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um I don't know. I think I mean, I I'm pulled toward this this series of of stories just because they're they're feel good. I don't I think some people would categorize them as fluffy or light and they kind of mean that in a derogatory way. Um but I don't see them that mm. way. I I I want my entertainment to make me feel good, and I want them to be uplifting, and that's what the dreamspun desires line is
0: all about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I branch off all the time to read more angsty stuff, mm-hmm. um, and but I like coming back to the dreamspun desires because they are light and fluffy, and you you know the H E A is coming there. That's not a spoiler. Okay. Uh, Or at least the HFN. Uh, For these guys, it's totally HEA. And it's just, it's a nice thing to sit down and just have a nice read to. So tonight we wanted to talk to you a little bit about the co-writing process. This was uh, your first book in general, as we talked about last night. Mm -hmm. But for both of us, it was our first time to co-write together. Mm -hmm. Uh, Will's helped me out over the years uh, with almost every story that I've published, uh, especially in the gay romance genre. Mm -hmm. He, uh, he kind of stepped away from my young adult stuff, but all of my romance stuff, uh, you've read, you've beta read, you've helped me edit, improve, etc. But this was something that we started from the very get-go together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it probably, I mean, it really started with the plotting. Uh, initially, with the Dream Sponge, you have to pitch Dream Spinner. So we had to sit down and really think about the stories that we wanted to tell for this trilogy of books that's in the Hockey Heart series. The tropes, the characters, and how all that built up, uh, and I think you were kind of the driving force behind a lot of that because you're kind of our our romance trope like guru, if you will. Mm-hmm. Did you have a particular thing in mind when it was like here we wanted to do three stories and where that was going to go? Um.
1: Yes, I knew that. Uh, well, first was the idea that we wanted to co-write together, and that this was the the category line that we were going to do it with. So we, uh, I was at least enamored with the idea of doing a loosely connected trilogy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't remember why exactly, but I had the idea of a wedding being the, um, sort of thematic glue that connected the three different stories together. Mm Um, um, So, uh, The Hockey Player's Heart features Caleb and Aaron, uh, and there's no spoiler here, they do get their happy ending in this book, Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, there is a proposal at the end of this book. (laughs) To, 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 to to drive that HEA home, um... Yeah, we were so, initially... so, yes, theirs is the wedding that we are talking about for this
0: particular series. Yeah, the series for a while was called The Wedding of the Year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was going to feature... This, this first book was getting these two together. Yeah. The second book that we're actually working on right now happens at their wedding and features their best friend, Dimitri, uh, who does get his second book. Some people have already asked about that who've read this already. Uh, and then the third book... Uh, we see Caleb and Aaron on their honeymoon, and another couple uh, will take center stage. Yes, in that book. So that's kind of the, where that came from. And then thinking the nitty gritty of figuring out what happens in this book mm-hmm. and who these characters were. And the first thing we did was we we came up with Caleb and Aaron and who they were, and loose a little loosey goosey about what their what their journey was to get to this happy ending, and then. Really drilling down into it some more, like what happens in each chapter, and that—that that was one of the coolest things to me about our co-writing process. Overall, was those afternoons in front of the whiteboard. Um, <laughs> after my after I was done with the day job, sitting down in front of the whiteboard yep. to figure out chapter by chapter what their journey was. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why that was my favorite part because sometimes plotting still stresses me out as I started in this as a panther years ago. But that was fun, batting the ideas around mm-hmm. um, and writing it all down and then figuring out kind of how to do it. And the, the tricky thing in our writing relationship, I guess it's tricky. It might be tricky. It feels tricky sometimes is we do the overall plotting and then I go away and really generate the bulk of the first draft. Uh, over Over my writing, which is what six years now maybe um, i 've kind of gotten into this rhythm of being able to sit down and knock out sprints of words and so it 's essentially what you call a fast draft and it 's even faster now that i 've discovered dictation, which i wasn 't doing when we wrote this book, uh, and so I fast draft the first the first draft of things, and then I pass it over to you. Mm-hmm. And you put magic all over it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh-huh. Um, what was it like for you, like cleaning up the first, taking over after the first draft? So you're you're in the plot, and then I gotta go I go away, and then I get to noodle around inside the loose points that we do. Um. It. How How far do you want to drill down? With this. As far as you want to tell the good folks that when, in like 10 minutes, you know, over our 10 minute time frame here that we're trying to keep to.
1: Um, so, yes, uh, I agree with Jeff that sitting down at the whiteboard and sort of brainstorming the ro- the sort of character arc and romantic journey of our, our two heroes was my favorite part. Um, so we came up with the essential story beats Of how we got from point A to point B. uh, Where the story was concerned. But unfortunately we left um, specifics about what was going on in each chapter. A little bit vague. That's where my pants herself got to have some fun. For better or worse. Yeah. So Jeff had to come up with an actual uh, awful lot of stuff on the fly. Um, And so once we started drilling down and editing. And kind of looking at... Um, how the story was working. Um, there were portions of it that um, just weren't gelling, and um, uh, just I don't know the other. Yeah. They just they just weren't working. Yeah. Um, so what we ended up doing uh, is we held on to that draft, and this past spring we were at RT, and we spent two days. Uh, doing a workshop with Cherry Adair. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first day we spent with Cherry, um, she sort of went over her uh, post-it plotting method, which is uh, essentially outlining and doing the story beats for a book using different colored post-its. And then the second day was... uh, Basically a a trial by fire where Sherry just throws out absolutely everything she knows about craft at you and you just take as many notes as you possibly can. Um, Also, what was actually really wonderful about that two days is that you get to sign up for a one-on-one session with Sherry. And you get to talk about whatever project that you're working on. And we sat down and talked to Sherry about this book. Uh, and essentially we just sat there in the lobby of the hotel in Atlanta, and we just brainstormed uh, and bulldozed through some of the problems that we were encountering with this first draft. So when we got home, we had an idea of the direction uh, that we wanted to head with this particular story and um, what things needed to be fixed. So once we kind of had an idea, uh, a revised outline, essentially, um, we could move forward with a lot more confidence. Yeah. Uh, it's like, hey, we actually
0: know what we're doing now. This is going to be an even better story. And, and that's why that's why Cherry is actually called out in the acknowledgments for this book. And I think it's a safe thing to say that chapter 26 uh, <laughs> exists because of Cherry and the brainstorming yes. that yes, we did does. with her. It's all over the book, but chapter 26 in particular, the <laughs> ending that we got, well, came out of that class and working with her that mm-hmm. afternoon in the lobby of the of the whatever hotel that was in Atlanta that we were in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, that stuff has all carried over now. As we've worked on the second book, yeah. uh, we started, we still did the whiteboard stuff because that initial throwing stuff up on the whiteboard and moving it around a little bit is, is really useful for the first wave but then the whole second book had the post-it note plotting down at when I was doing the, the fast drafting this time I kind of I knew more of the beats we were trying to hit in each chapter and so far as you've been going through it you've been the book's in a much better state for where we are now than it was than our first one was because mm-hmm. our collaboration process has improved yes very much so so that's kind of the lowdown for tonight's broadcast, unless there's anything else you want to throw out about that, our process. No, no. Uh,
1: it's just a, um, it's a continually evol- evolving process, and uh, we're getting it uh, one of these days. <laughs>
0: yeah, it'll get better for the third book.
1: It's, exactly. It's already
0: better for the second. <laughs> yes. So for tonight's topic, we thought we would talk about uh, populating our book with out and proud characters. When we were thinking about the book in our original plottings, Mm -hmm. did we do that deliberately or did it turn out that way?
1: Uh, It was deliberate. It was a deliberate choice.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't think we said it. I think we just did it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we write very much in the realm of designing the world the way we want it to be, uh, if only a little bit, Uh, and certainly with... With Caleb, he's out and proud and has been in the NHL as an out player since he uh, was drafted into the league. He came out at some point in college, which is not really covered in the book. Uh, I think it's like one sentence that's mentioned somewhere. Uh, But he's always been out in the NHL, has never hidden it. Um, His best friend, Dmitry Stanislav, who you meet in the book, is also an out New York Ranger. Uh, And pretty much in our vision, uh, probably most of the teams have at least one out player. Um, Or somebody on staff who is out. Um, For Aaron, he's also out as a school teacher. Uh, He was out. He also came out in college, and so here are two pretty strong role models uh, for Aaron with the with the students he teaches. Uh, Obviously, he's not going to tell third graders about that, but they could see this representation. Uh, And for Caleb, in particular. He takes his role model uh, status, I think, fairly seriously uh, in his help with young people and taking the time out to talk to kids. Um, what What's your impression of, of how we populated our book? I, I don't think it
1: was... Um, uh, here, Here is... Here's the thing. I am... I'm trying to come up with a way to say this without sounding like a total asshole, but um, I am not particularly interested, especially when it comes to category romance, I'm not interested in exploring uh, angsty coming out stories. Mm -hmm. And I don't want um, issues of The Closet. Or homophobia uh, to be issues that our characters deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I want um, <laughs> I want the world in which our characters live to be uh, an ideal one. Uh, so that means that the fact that Caleb is uh, uh, out and proud. Gay sports celebrity, uh, it's a non-issue. Mm-hmm. It's not an issue for anybody at all. at no point.
0: Uh, and it shouldn't be. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, but we do have a touch of the of the current world in the book as well because there is a scene where Caleb is met by a young man who's in high school and is closeted and is afraid to come out and they have an exchange that happens after one of Caleb's games. So that plays into him being the role model as well. So we have it, we have it created, you know, utopia. But certainly for our primary characters, as you said, you know, I've written one coming out story, and I don't really want to ever do another one because uh, one was enough. And I like the idea that we've got this this universe that we've created for these categories where uh, homophobia is really not an issue, as you said, uh, because you know. The way we want the world to be, and hopefully we bring forward enough of these stories. Because certainly the category romances, and we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow when it's Category Romance Day, um, really is the feel good, bring forward very little <laughs> angst. Um, you know, people people get their their the roadblocks to their HEAs in other ways. Um, yes. Than this way, and for, for these two, it's just trying to blend together uh celebrity and non-celebrity and and Aaron does have a little bit of baggage as well so yeah um it's definitely it's definitely nice to have that kind of feel good thing yeah and tonight we're going to talk about something near and dear to our hearts category romance Mm -hmm. we love our category romance we talked a little bit about this back in on day one when we talked about kind of the origin of putting all the book together Mm -hmm. um you have the longer history with Category, as you mentioned, because you picked up those Blaze books uh, from Harlequin years ago. What about Category got you pulled into Blaze all those years ago? Lo,
1: those many years ago.
0: <laughs> it was many years ago, because like, we've been together for 20 plus years. <laughs> Everything time. is like long time ago.
1: A long, long time ago. <laughs> um... First, for uh, the sake of definitions, um, a category romance is a um, typically a, a line of books usually centered around a specific theme. And when anyone uh, mentions category length, they usually mean um, shorter novels. Uh, and most books within a specific category line are all identical length. So they... um, Each book is a uniform reader experience.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And uh, the idea of... I don't know if it was necessarily invented by Harlequin back in the day, but they certainly exploited it to its fullest potential. Mm -hmm. Um, Category lines, as I mentioned, are usually centered around a certain theme. Um, That way, readers can pick a certain line uh, and read those books and enjoy the specific tropes associated with that certain theme. Um, In the past, there have been, uh, let's see, um, the classic one is Harlequin Presents Uh, Those are short, um, very um, steamy, but not necessarily uh, graphic books that take place in exotic locales all over the world. Uh, A lot of the um, chic books come from Harlequin Presents. There are a lot of billionaire CEOs in those specific (laughs) books. Uh, So those readers who read Harlequin Presents have a, a certain itch that they're trying to scratch <laughs> when, when they read that line. Um, Harlequin Blaze came around, I believe it was in the year 2000, uh, and they were looking to fill the, um, the niche that was emerging at that time. Titles were getting a lot sexier, uh, and that's what uh, Blaze... Um, was doing They were giving you the, the hottest possible romances You can get in a category line um, The very first Harlequin Blaze I read both Was by Vicki Lewis Thom- Thompson uh, A r- remarkable author um, uh, Lord, Lord have mercy She's written a bazillion books um, <laughs> All of them are really great She's so so talented uh, I'm really glad I picked up um, That first Blaze book All those years ago uh, I've enjoyed a lot of category romances
0: since then. Mm-hmm. Um, Not the least of which have been the Dreamspun Desires books from Dreamspinner. Exactly. Which is, I was so
1: thrilled when Dreamspinner Press announced that they were doing a category romance line uh, because deep in my heart, they make me so very, very happy. Um, and I think... Um, like with um, traditional category romances, the Dreamspun Desires line basically gives you a promise that you're going to get a specific reading experience every time you pick up one of their titles. Um, they're mm-hmm. all roughly the same length, and they all have feel-good themes, and they're, of course, all going to you know, end with a happily ever after. Um, so, yeah. That's Category
0: Romance. (laughs) Yeah, and you got me into them, even with the Blaze books. I didn't devour as many Blaze books as you did, but I definitely read them. And even, like, I was a big fan when Dream Spinner brought up this line, too, because while I'm happy to to go through Hell and Back for a romance, uh, I also really like these kind of comforty reads. It's the same thing that, you know, puts me in front of the TV... Most weekends, if, if Hallmark Channel has a new movie on, especially the Christmas movies, because the Christmas movies are all basically category romance movies mm-hmm. facing different tropes and a different, we must save the, the thing, the town, the bakery, the parade, the the pumpkin patch, whatever it is. <laughs> we don't have anybody saving anything in this book, but, you know, maybe later in our writings we'll come up with I'm something I'm sure we'll say. say something eventually. Um, but I really like those things where you sit down, and yes, you know where it's going, mm-hmm. and you may not know exactly how they're going to get there, but you know on the other side of it that the two people in play are going to come together and will have their happy moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I really enjoy that, both in books and in my movies occasionally, too, because the world's crazy enough out there, and and sometimes you need to put the angst aside and, and just get wrapped in a nice, warm, cozy blanket of a reed. Mm-hmm. So for tonight, we wanted to talk about um, short reads versus epic length. Certainly, category romances, as we talked about last night, tend to be on the shorter side. Yep. Uh, in that kind of fifty thousand word kind of space, maybe sixty, but I know Dreamspinner t- tends to stay in more of the in that fifty to fifty-five kind of realm for the Dreamspun's. You I, have a very distinct. Uh, opinion about short versus epic. Um, what it, what attracts you so much to the shorter read?
1: Well, first of all, let me say there are certain things that I do appreciate that are long and thick, <laughs> <laughs> but not my not my books. Generally speaking, no no that's not how I feel um, that's just my personal preference um, some people want a 100,000 word tome or a, you know something that is you know a, a thousand pages long uh, like the you know last Harry Potter book or something like that and mm-hmm. they want to um, dive into a world and uh, kind of become immersed in something incredible uh, incredibly um well epic (laughs) yeah epic epic uh i sort of have the reverse view i want to get in right away i want to understand who these characters are and what their goals are uh if it's a romance they're um they're like always working towards a happily ever after Uh, And I want them to get the show on the road. I don't want to be messing around (laughs) for, you know, 300, 400 pages till, you know, they find themselves and go on the hero's journey or something like that. (laughs) I don't need, I don't have time for that. I would rather read, you know, three or four um, good, satisfying, feel-good romances uh, instead of a single, you know, epic fantasy or... Something so, like or that. Or even a longer romance. True. In some cases, True. I guess. Yeah. Now, there are some authors who write in our genre who do write longer. And that's perfectly okay because there are readers uh, who prefer that. Uh, I'm... Jeff. Jeff will dig into a, a big hunkin' tome of a book. Uh, I will... I would most likely give it a side eye and... But if you recommend it, or if it's got some interesting buzz, or if it's an author that I'm interested in, um, I will tackle a a longer work. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for
0: you, too, at least in in the history of having watched you go try to tackle bigger books, Mm -hmm. it's all about pacing. Oh god at that yes. point. Oh, god, it's yeah. gotta feel like it's moving along. Mm-hmm. You're not going to hang out for like a you. a drawn out event. No. I am not. <laughs> now I I am more good. More good. <laughs> more I'm, better. More better. I'm okay with the longer drawn out. And maybe it's cuz I read a lot of sci-fi as a kid because most sci-fi does mm-hmm. go far more towards the 100k uh length of a book. Or even more recently, as you noted, uh, the last Harry Potter books were quite long. Uh Stephen King's Under the Dome, which is a huge favorite, was a quite long book. Uh, it really made me happy to have a Kindle. It's one of the first long, long books I read on a Kindle. It's like, I'm not hauling this brick around with me. Uh-huh. Um, because I like that authors will occasionally take the time to develop everything out and to give the character space. I mean, I've been... You know, I've done a couple of books that were in the eighty thousand word realm with the hat with a couple of hat trick books that got really long. Um, you also have a thing about even long chapters. In some cases, mm-hmm. you want your chapters to be. Do you have a a sense on how long you like your chapters? <laughs> <laughs> um, they need to be long enough. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair, because I know there have been books where it's like this chapter never stops. It just goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, Like, well, like you just said, it is about
1: pacing. mm -hmm. Um, There are some authors who have incredibly long chapters. Um, There are certain uh, authors who, for whatever reason, have no chapters at all. As much as I love Gordon Merrick, um, he does not have chapters in his book, and it drives me bonkers. Because, hello, when are you supposed to set the book down and go to sleep? <laughs> you can't, because there are no chapters.
0: Um, yeah. That's that <laughs> how I feel That's about interesting. That's <laughs> interesting. Uh, over the last couple of years, as I've kind of gotten more attuned to crafty things, uh, certainly, you know, the rise and fall of each chapter... Um, mm-hmm. Making sure that it hits the points and then gets out. And when do you start the chapter? Uh, I've, I was notorious for a long time at starting the book and the chapters in the wrong spot uh, rather than going as a writer. It, you're as a writer, it. yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, as a reader, I didn't start the book like on chapter five or something <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> uh but it's it's interesting how there are people who who love the longer books and people who like the shorter books does your like of short translate much to short stories um and novellas
1: here's the thing there is not a lot of short fiction in the romance genre um mm. simply because I think we have moved away f- from that form. It's become less popular over the years and there really isn't any way to uh, publish short stories or get those out in public. Now of course independent authors can uh, publish short stories whenever they want on the Kindle. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how long your book, if it's five pages or or hundred thousand pages, it doesn't matter uh, in an ebook.
0: Yeah, as long um, as it's priced right. But yeah.
1: um, I think uh, when it comes to uh, certainly genre romance, I think the short story um, is a difficult sell for most readers because there's not enough time it, for the reader to kind of um, empathize with the character. And their emotional journey, um, w- whatever that means, uh, mm-hmm. for a romance in a short story. Now, novellas are, of course, you know, another you know thing entirely. Um, novellas are, of course, very very popular. Um, in fact, I read nothing but novellas for two months straight when right, uh, during the holidays. That's all I did. I read Christmas novellas, uh, and I loved every second of it. Um, so,
0: yeah. Yeah, I like I the Christmas novellas. I like short stories when they're done well. And it is hard, I think it's hard as an author. Mm-hmm. Speaking for myself, it's hard to do something in a more compact area unless you're writing kind of an in-between story that connects into a series. Mm-hmm. So you could take that little episode and have a moment with it. But to have a whole, people who can like, do a romance in like 5,000 words, I'm like, wow.
1: Yeah, that's, that's really difficult. It's almost impossible.
0: Yeah, and, and kudos to you if you're an author who does that uh, and, and pulls it off. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, you're, you're much more on the, on the side of the short read, and I'll pretty much read anything if it sucks me into it. Um, especially now with audiobooks. I'm happy to, to, to spend the time on an audiobook and have it go long and, uh, you know, be worth the payoff. It's easier when it's in my ears, I think, too, uh, to do um, so yeah, anything else you want to say about short versus epic? Um, that our book, The Hockey Player's Heart, is the perfect length. <laughs> 54,000 words, so it's right there in that short read, just above a novella, right at the edge of novel. I think that's what you'd kind of call it. Like, skates that edge. Because it also depends on what your definition of novel versus novella is, which some, some people move those numbers around, depending on, on who they are. And tonight we thought we'd talk about doing a small town setting. Caleb Carter and Aaron Price both grew up in a small town in upstate New York. We kind of dropped this town up there near Albany, uh, just as a nice place. So it's kind of near a town, but a bigger town, but it's also still kind of distant and it's got its own little vibe to it. Uh, and some of my, I mean, we watch a lot of Hallmark movies. Let's just, let's just put that out there and almost all of them take place in a quaint little town. And certainly, one of my favorite shows is The Gilmore Girls, which is also in that little idyllic Stars Hollow setting. And there's just something there's something appealing about that to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What's your take on on small town romance? The ro- as a setting. Um, I think as a setting,
1: um, it works exceptionally well for contemporary romances. Um, especially if you want to imbue the story with, um, like you said, like certain uh, a certain quaintness, mm-hmm. a certain bucolic quality. Uh, you can do a lot of different stuff with a, a fictional small town, uh, and it adds an air of, of coziness. Um, if you set it in a big city, say, Manhattan or San Francisco, that's of course going to affect the feel of the story and you've got something else, you know, uh, entirely different. So in this case, in the Hockey Player's Heart, we uh, came up with the fictional New England town of Foster Grove and it is uh, essentially our our cutesy version of uh, Stars Hollow. Um, it's uh, populated with Um, A lot of secondary characters, uh, characters that are going to be making appearances uh, throughout the three-book series. Mm -hmm. And um, I think uh, that's something that um, small-town romances um, can offer, uh, the uh, chance to populate your story with uh, quaint, quirky, secondary characters. Who, in most cases, have known your main characters for a long time. Mm -hmm. So they can, um, from a craft point of view for the author, they can sort of be... um, what what am I trying to say? The, instead of, like, doing a, an info dump, you can, <laughs> you can have a, a secondary character at the diner, you know, ask your main character what they've been up to since, you know, uh, since they've moved back to town or, you
0: know, things like that. And conversely, that same character can, can give the info dump on, well, I remember when so-and-so was 10 and they did blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, there's there's ways to convey information then that you don't have to do that info dump mm-hmm. or keep it on somebody's head or something. Right. And it's also, I think, it helps you maintain some proximity. You, you're certainly not getting a mm-hmm. forced proximity like you would if you stuck them in a snowed-in cabin. But if you're hanging out in this tiny town, you know you can't put a hundred blocks between them because there might only be ten blocks in the entire town. And so there's a little more. Everybody's seeing everybody's business. Mm-hmm. Happening at the same time, as opposed to, you know, having some distance where you may not even know your neighbor in some cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's a lot of fun, and I think maybe eventually we'll do a, uh, a a contemporary romance that takes place in a bigger town. But certainly this trilogy all stays in tinier places for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think, as you were saying, it is a nice thing for. I think it works well for category romance, especially a particular two where it's all that tropey kind of fuzzy goodness because who doesn't want to go to a star's hollow and hang out at the dragonfly or something and they don't do that kind of thing in this book but they could (laughs) have yes it's exciting that the book is finally out there in the wild uh as as we said thanks to everybody who's picked it up whether you're a dream spun subscriber or you've taken the the chance to grab this book uh in pre-order uh we hope you enjoy it and we'd love to hear your feedback Mm um definitely leave reviews we as much as authors are told not to look at reviews, I, I do look at them. Um, I, I check to see what people thought just because... Naughty author. I know I'm a naughty author. <laughs> I don't ever respond to them. I might hit like if it's on Goodreads or something to let you know that I've seen it. Um, but yeah, we'd love to know your general opinion. you know, The star rating and and what you thought of, of Caleb and Aaron. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good to know. Now, we got kind of a special treat tonight because this one's gonna do his very first reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's gonna read actually from the prologue of the book to give you your first little sample of, of Caleb and Aaron. Mm-hmm. So take it away and, and give, us a, give us a reading. Give you a
1: reading. Okay, yeah. so I am going to be reading uh, the first couple of pages, the prologue of The Hockey Player's Heart. Um, this book is about uh, a professional hockey player named Caleb Carter. Uh, and he is recovering from an injury. He uh, is the star player, the captain of the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he lives and works in New York City. Uh, but to in order to escape some of the paparazzi and some of the pressure uh, that's surrounding him about his uh, rehab and recovery, um, he uh, goes back to his small town in upstate New York, and uh, he reconnects with someone from his past. Yes. Uh, a guy, named Aaron who uh, has also recently moved back to Foster Grove and he is currently a grade school teacher. Mm -hmm. Now the prologue um, came later. Uh, Originally during the first draft of this book we did not have a prologue and as we were working through the draft and kind of thinking about the story arc. I think I was the one who suggested that we have a prologue, Mm -hmm. and I really felt that we needed to see Caleb and Aaron before the present day when the bulk of the book takes place. I think we needed to get a concrete idea of um, their uh, relationship and their connection um, in their past. So that we could better understand what they're working towards mm-hmm. uh, in
0: the future. Um, so there you have it. Yeah, I, you know I'd actually forgotten that the prologue had come later, but you're yeah. right. one day as you were going through the first draft, you're like, I think this needs the prologue and that became my mission to go and write the prologue. Yeah. as kind of a retro a retro moment in, in, in all of it because I tend to write front to back mm-hmm. um, and now yeah. I was going way back since this, Happens about a decade before the bulk of the material in the book.
1: Yeah, I think uh, when you start going over a manuscript, you kind of uh, have you begin to have a clearer idea of uh, some of you know what it's all about and what are the kind of underlying themes, and uh, then you come up with ways to in order to sort Mm -hmm. of strengthen or underline uh, certain ideas. Um, that you want to
0: kind of get across yeah. to the reader, and actually, your idea of the prologue uh, gave us a couple of really nice moments later in the book too that we worked in. So, oh, that's right. Yeah. There's, oh, yeah. There's yeah. Okay. Yeah. The prologue. It was a really
1: great idea, guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so now, without further ado, without further ado, here's here's, here's <laughs> Will reading the prologue.
1: <laughs> Here is the prologue from the hockey player's heart. <clears throat> In his two years on the Foster Grove High hockey team, Caleb Carter had faced off against some of the biggest and baddest players in the state of New York, but nothing he'd ever encountered on the ice could prepare him for what he was about to do. Alone in his bedroom, Caleb tried to control the sudden sickening panic that gripped him. Why was he freaking out so bad? Because he had zero experience talking to guys the way he wanted to talk to Aaron tonight. Practicing the positive visu- visualization technique that Coach had taught him, Caleb inhaled deeply, gulping down what should have been a calming breath. He glanced at the digital clock on his bedside table and knew he'd wasted enough time. It was now or never. He reached for the doorknob, then paused, brought his hand to his face, and breathed into his palm. Deeming his breath acceptable, he headed downstairs. Caleb stopped on the stairway landing and peered through the railing at everyone assembling in his family's living room. Balloons and a giant banner hung above the fireplace mantel. Only a few pieces of the graduation cake his mom had made were left. Earlier that afternoon, Caleb and about a dozen members of his extended family had sat in the bleachers at the high school's football stadium and watched his older sister Pam and her best friend Aaron Price graduate with honors. The ceremony seemed to go on forever, but when Pam took the stage in the middle of the field and gave her valedictorian speech, even he had to admit it was pretty inspiring. Afterward, everyone came back to the Carter home for a joint family graduation party. Caleb had hoped to find a moment to talk to Aaron alone, but Aaron and Pam dealt with a seemingly endless array of relatives, each one had to congratulate them and discuss college plans and for their respective futures. Aaron now stood at the bottom of the stairs, laughing at something his uncle was saying. When the older man eventually turned away, Caleb called down. "'Hey, Aaron, do you have a second?' "'Sure,' he answered before bounding up the steps to where Caleb stood. "'What's up?' "'Um, can I talk to you?' Caleb asked, gesturing for Aaron to follow him into his room. At the end of the hallway, music blared from behind Pam's bedroom door. Pam had escaped the party to change out of her dress. She and Aaron would be leaving soon for the safe and sober grad night party. Aaron stood expectantly in the middle of Caleb's room, hand in his pockets of his dress pants. He wore a nice button-down shirt and tie, his dark hair combed neatly and parted on the side. Caleb thought he looked great. You okay? You've been acting strange all afternoon, Aaron said. Caleb's mouth went dry. He tried to casually shrug off the question, but all that came out of his mouth was an aborted squeak. He had to get a grip. This was Aaron, his sister's best friend. He had to be cool. So I, um, I got you something. You didn't have to do that. Yeah, I did. Caleb went to his desk, opened the drawer, and pulled out a brown paper bag. Something to say thank you. Sorry I wasn't able to get it wrapped. We only had Christmas paper and that seemed weird. Aaron took the package Caleb offered and looked inside. A huge smile spread across his face, and it warmed Caleb far more than he expected. Aaron removed a small trophy from the bag. It was a cup with handles on either side. The wood vase had a gold plaque that read, Aaron Price, World's Best Tutor. Caleb had bought it at the pro shop located next to the ice rink, where he practiced every morning. He even spent the extra money to have it especially engraved. I wouldn't have made it through geometry without you, and if I'd flunked, I'd be off the team. You're the one who did the work. But you spent all those hours helping me, drilling into this thick skull of mine. Caleb, I wish you wouldn't say things like that. You're a lot smarter than you give yourself credit for. Anyway, you're the reason I know the difference between equilateral and isosceles triangles. I wanted to give you something to show you how much I appreciate it. You're a seriously good teacher. Aaron held the little trophy up, admiring it, turning it so it glinted in the late afternoon light that shone through the bedroom window. I love it. Before he could second-guess himself, Caleb stepped toward Aaron and gave him a hug. he intended it for it to be a quick embrace, a clap on the back, but to Caleb's surprise, Aaron wrapped his arms around him and didn't let go. Time seemed to momentarily stop. He wanted to squeeze Aaron and hold on tight, but fear threatened to overwhelm him, His stomach somersaulted and he didn't want Aaron to get the wrong idea. Caleb needed to let go, but he liked the warm feeling of Aaron's body underneath that dress shirt. What was happening? A moment later, Aaron began to pull back. As Caleb stepped away, without thinking, he turned his head a fraction of an inch and brushed his lips across Aaron's cheek. And Caleb immediately jumped back, his face burning hot with embarrassment so yeah thanks for the tutoring i mean he blurted out you really helped me a lot you're welcome i'm glad i could aaron smiled his eyes warm and kind he accidentally uh, he absolutely pushed his glasses back up the bridge of his nose if he felt any of the awkwardness caleb did he didn't let on there was a loud knock caleb glanced over his shoulder as pam opened the door and poked her head in come on aaron we need to get going she disappeared down the hall leaving his door open. We'll be right there. With the little trophy in his hand, Aaron turned to leave, paused briefly in the doorway. Caleb's heart pounded in his chest as he waited expectantly for Aaron to do something, say anything. The moment stretched out for what felt like an eternity. It had taken every ounce of courage Caleb had to give Aaron that trophy. If he gave the gift back, Caleb knew he would literally die of embarrassment. Thank you, Caleb, he finally said. I'll see you later. Caleb stood by himself and listened to Aaron's footsteps as he returned downstairs to join Pam and take her to the after-hours grad night party. Caleb unconsciously brought his fingertips to his lips. Had Had he really just done that? Had his lips actually touched the skin of another guy? Caleb had kissed Aaron Price. He'd never been so happy in his life.
0: And there you have it, the prologue of the hockey player's heart. We hope you enjoyed that, we hope you enjoyed the book, and whether this has been your first visit to our Facebook videos or if you've been here every, every night, uh, we thank you for joining us and hope you've enjoyed these little sneak peeks behind the scenes of our book. Uh, if you haven't seen the blog tour stops for today, we were at three places <laughs> earlier today. We were busy. We were busy people. <laughs> uh, Joyfully Jay, Scattered Thoughts and Rogue Words, and Happily Every Chapter on Facebook each have a tour yeah. stop along with uh, the raffle rafflecopter with the question of the day so you can get entries to win ebooks or the autographed paperback or if you're an international grand prize winner, a $10 e-gift card. Uh, the blog tour will continue through January 25th and you can check the whole schedule out at jeffadamsrights.com uh, if you have not been following along so far. Again, thank you for hanging out with us. Uh, hope you enjoyed the book and uh, we will see you later. Bye, guys. Thanks. For detailed show notes and the complete episode
1: backlist, go to BigGayFictionPodcast.com. New episodes are available every Monday on all major podcast distributors and YouTube. Thanks for listening. We'll
0: see you next week.